One of the foundational truths of the Christian faith is that God is a wonderful creator. And he has a design for everything. God designed the earth, and he has a plan for the earth. God designed animals, and he has a plan for the animal kingdom. God designed the church, and he has a plan for the church. God designed men and women, and he has a plan for men and women. God designed the family, and he has a plan for the family. God has designed everything, and he has a plan for everything. And part of what it means to follow God is that we submit to his will and his plan for our lives and for everything. Well, today we're going to talk about some of God's design, part of God's design for the church. Now don't forget, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to a relatively young pastor named Timothy. Hence the title of the book, First Timothy. Timothy is the pastor at this time of the church in Ephesus, and he's also a leader or an influencer among other pastors. He's trying to train other pastors. He's trying to raise up pastors and deacons. And so he has a lot of influence, and Paul is trying to influence him. And today, Paul's going to talk in part about the role of men and women in worship. Paul is creatively entitled, The Roles of Men and Women in Worship. <laughs> I want us to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us as we study his word, because we are so dependent upon him and his powerful illumination by his Holy Spirit for our hearts and our minds. So join me now in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us so much about our lives, about your church, about your creation that is found in your word. We don't need to search it out in terms of figuring out what it is you have for us, Lord, you have told us clearly in your word. So thank you for the instructions you've given us. Thank you most of all for revealing to us in your word that you sent your son Jesus Christ to be the payment for our sins and that he rose to new life so that we also may have new life. Thank you for that beautiful reality. Bless us now. As we study your word, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't found the passage already, please do so quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire passage, verses 8 through 15, and then we'll study about what this means. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black, hardbound Christian Standard Bible somewhere near you. You're welcome to use that. If you don't have one at home, please take that. Let that be our uh, gift to you this morning. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works 
as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. And, or but, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Okay, if you haven't picked up why this might be a much-discussed passage to yet, then you are probably asleep. So wake up. <clears throat> this passage has a lot of uh, discussion in our world today. In fact, probably more than ever that I have been a pastor, this passage has a lot of discussion going on in our own cooperation of churches, the Southern Baptist Convention. But we're going to talk about it this morning. I did not pick this passage because there's controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention. I picked it because I'm preaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy. So let's journey through this passage and discuss three truths that we can apply to our lives and to local church worship. First, we are to pursue prayer, not anger. We are to pursue prayer, not anger. If you look at verse 8 again, Paul says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. First of all, Paul says every place. I believe he says that because he's writing to Timothy who has an influence over other pastors in other areas. So he's saying every place. I don't think he means like, there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't think he's saying like when you're at McDonald's and when you're at Walmart and when... That's certainly okay to pray at those places, but I think what he means is every location where churches are gathered, I want the men to be in prayer, not arguing. This part is really easy to understand. In fact, most of this passage, almost all of it, is very easy to understand. Okay, so I think verse 8 is very clear. But I would say this also, although Paul addresses it to men, it also would be applicable to women. Here's what we should gain from verse 8. Prayer is good. Anger and arguing are bad. I think that applies to women also. <laughs> I think women should value prayer, and women should generally try not to be angry and argue. But it is addressed to men, and Paul is speaking in the context of the local church worship service. It's very important that we understand Paul is talking about the local church worship service service. In case you don't know what that is, it is where you are right now. This is the local church worship service. It's not Sunday school. It's not Sunday evening hymn sings. It's not Wednesday night service. It's certainly not anything outside of church. It's this moment when the local church gathers together for worship. It is the biblical command. So let me just help you out. If we only did this as a service, we would still be a biblical church. This is what the Bible tells us to do. Gather together for singing, prayer, the teaching of God's word, fellowshipping together as a body. This is it. This is the most important thing we do. If you don't come to this, you're missing. Of course, you're here. You're like, we're here, Pastor. Okay, I understand that. But tell other folks, if they don't come to this, they're missing the most important thing that we do. That was not in my notes. That's all for free. But here's a question for the men in our church. How are you known? How are you known? Are you known as a man of 
prayer? Are you known as a man, perhaps, of anger and arguing? Are you known as a man, perhaps, of complaining? Or a man of apathy, meaning you don't really care about things? Are you known as a man of intimidation? Perhaps you like to kind of throw your influence around and get your way. Are you known as a man of cowardice? Are you known as a man of worldliness? Are you known as a man of intelligence? Or are you known as a godly man of prayer? Paul gives one instruction to men in this passage. He says the men of the church should be men of prayer with hands lifted high to the Lord. Men of prayer. Men, God wants you to be talking to Him. He wants you to be in a tight relationship with Him. He doesn't want you spouting off to other men in the church, arguing and complaining to other men in the church in order to get your way. That is the exact opposite of what God wants for you. You are violating the Word of God when you do that. If the men in this church and in every church would put on their big boy britches and learn what it means to be in an intimate relationship with the one true living God of the universe, rather than squabbling over ridiculousness, the world would not know what hit them. The devil would not know what hit them if the men would be in prayer with hands lifted to God. We would change the world if we just followed this one verse. What a powerful force the church would be if we would be men and people of prayer. There's nothing like the power of prayer. I'm so grateful that this verse is very easy to understand because I can preach it very easily and straightforwardly. Pursue prayer, not anger. Second, pursue modesty, not attention. This is really straightforward also, by the way, but Paul spends some more time here. Pursue modesty, not attention. He spent one verse talking to men, and now he shifts his attention to women. And in the following verses, Paul will speak about modesty, teaching, learning, authority, creation, childbearing, and more. I've got to cover all that before lunchtime. <laughs> so let's focus first on modesty. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. Okay, I want to say right off the bat, there is some of this that is cultural to the city of Ephesus, which was part of the, was influenced by the Roman Empire. Part of it is cultural, but most of it is not. It's actually quite applicable to any culture across any time to any woman. So let's look at some principles about what Paul means here. Because, you see, first of all, Paul commands women to dress Dress modestly. Well, what does that mean to dress modestly? Well, I think at a minimum, 
All of us probably know this, perhaps, I hope we do. At a minimum, modesty includes properly covering up ourselves so as not to draw inappropriate, sensual thoughts from other people. Minimally, it means that. And that we don't, when I was a youth pastor, that was one of the things I always, like, just cover yourself up, okay? Just, just help me out here, okay? Of course, we deal with that with adults as well. I learned when I became a pastor, all the problems we have with youth, we have the same problems with adults. They're just harder, they just complain more. Adults complain more, okay? So, Paul would certainly say that we should properly cover the parts of our bodies that are only to be seen by ourselves and our spouses if we have a spouse. Can we all agree minimally that he means that? I hope so. However, Paul goes on to describe hairstyles, jewelry, and expensive apparel. So it seems that when Paul speaks of modesty, he's speaking of more than just covering up the personal parts of our body. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the church in Ephesus had been infiltrated by the Roman culture, which included, among other things, elaborate and flashy dress by women, listen carefully, for the purpose of drawing attention to themselves. There was sort of a revolution of women in that time who would go above and beyond nice dress to to really make themselves look special and draw attention to how much money they had or how beautiful they were or whatever it might be. I believe this is what Paul is generally expressing. So here's the point when it comes to modesty. When we are immodest or when we are not modest, it means that we are drawing unnecessary attention to ourselves. I'm going to say that again. I think it's important. When we are immodest, it means that we are drawing unnecessary attention to ourselves. Paul would say that we should not want people to think how beautiful we are, how attractive we are, how much money we have, how athletic we are, or how special we are. That should not be our goal. I wonder how I can make people realize how special I am. When I say it that way, most of you say, yeah, that makes sense. We probably shouldn't do that. The Bible is pretty clear about that. Yeah, I think that's what Paul's getting at. Some of you may not think that, and that's another issue. But rather than trying to show how special we are, our goal as followers of Jesus should be seeking to bring glory to God. We want to show how special God is. So we should be purposeful not to seek any of the attention or glory that belongs to to God. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. We shouldn't walk or we shouldn't leave the house and say, I can't wait till I get there and everybody gets to see how special I am. That's the goal. We should say, no, I can't wait to join my brothers and sisters in Christ and declare how special God is. I think that's the point of what Paul is getting at. Now, I don't think Paul would want any of us to look like slobs. That can draw attention as well, right? So, man, does that guy even have a mirror at his house? Right, we don't want that. The, the, the goal is not to look like slobs. In fact, we, Jesus actually says elsewhere not to do that. Don't try to draw attention. He talks in the context of fasting, right? Like when we're fasting, we make ourselves look so weak. Oh, I'm so tired from fasting because I'm so spiritual. Look how, look how I can't even get dressed properly. Jesus says, no, don't do that either. Okay, so the, the point is, 
there's a balance. There's a balance in all this, right? We can look neat and nice without trying to look flashy and special. So women, by the way, and men, this applies to men, we should not seek to draw attention to ourselves. Rather, in our pursuit of loving God and in our pursuit of loving others, women, as it says in verse 10, are to be known for good works. You want, as men want to be known for prayer, and women too for prayer, by the way, and as women are to be known for good works, and men too, by the way, when someone thinks of you as a woman, you should not seek for them to say, oh, well, that so-and-so, she's really beautiful, or she has a lot of money, or she's really fancy. Your goal should be that person does good works for the Lord. Jesus has changed that person, and I see it in their life. That should be the goal. That is what is proper, as Paul says in verse 10, proper for women who profess to worship God. You're not going to see that in the women of the culture. But also, most of them do not profess to worship God. But for those of us who do profess to worship God, and particularly in this verse, for women, you are to be known for good works. So don't be flashy, women. Be holy. Pursue modesty, not attention. Finally, point number three, pursue God's design, not power. Now this is, without a doubt, the most questioned part of the passage. So let's look at it. I believe the Holy Spirit will teach us, guide us. I, again, I don't think it's overly complicated. I think sometimes we just have a problem accepting the Word of God. But it's pretty clear. So Paul is speaking primarily to women in this passage. But I would say this big picture principle applies to everyone. I want you to hang with me because you might say, well, why would he address women if it applies to everyone? Two reasons. One is because this was a problem for the church in Ephesus. They were dealing with women who were getting out of hand. We don't have that problem here. All of our women are great, okay? <laughs> Second, <laughs> I'm glad some of you got that, okay? Second, okay, this is in context of the entire letter. And I really wanted to preach chapter 3 along with chapter, this part of chapter 2, but it would have been a lot to preach. So I want you to remember what I'm going to tell you about what we're going to learn next time in chapter 3 as we journey through this. This is in context of the role of a pastor as well. Okay, so one, there was a problem in the church in Ephesus. Two, he's saying these things to women in context with what he's going to tell us about the role of a pastor. So Paul is giving us this design and this purpose that God has for us. And as we've already said, we should pursue God's design and God's purpose. So look again at verses 11 and 12. Paul says in verse 11, A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. First of all, I want to point out something very important to know. Every commentary, every study I've done on this verse points out very clearly that the Greek word that Paul uses when he wrote this letter for the word 
quiet does not mean absolutely silent. That's not what it means. It means rather peaceful, submissive, or calm. That's what it means. So if you women were in this room today and you spoke a word, be comforted. You did not violate the word of God by doing that. Okay? Paul does not mean absolutely silent. So we want to clear that up right away. Paul does not mean that women are never to talk in a church setting. It, it is, I mean, it is not accepted by hardly any serious scholars that that's what Paul means. Well then, what does he mean? Well, I'm going to give you three ideas that I believe Paul wants to drive home from this passage. We're going to put them all on the screen at the same time, and then I'm going to talk about them. Boom. Did you see that? That worked out perfect. Okay, number one, in worship, women are to be primarily learners, not teachers. Remember, the worship service, local church worship setting, where you are sitting right now, that's what we're talking about. In worship, women are to be primarily learners, not teachers. Number two, in worship, women are to submit to those who are in authority. Number three, in worship, women are not to have authority over a man. So we're going to talk about those three things. I'll leave, we'll leave them up on the screen, and we'll journey through that. So I want to talk about each of these briefly and explain how I arrived at this. Number one, let's talk about idea number one. In worship, women are to be primarily learners, not teachers. How did I arrive at that? Well, the easy answer is I read the Bible. Okay, Paul says a woman is to learn quietly. It's very clear. Women are to be primarily learners in the worship setting. Now, as I just mentioned, we're going to learn later in chapter 3, which is the very next passage that we'll study, Lord willing, next Sunday. By the way, there's a lot of people that didn't make it this week because of the time change. They're going to say, Pastor, what do you think of, verse, of chapter 2? I'm going to say, you missed it. Too bad. Okay, I'm not, not really. So. Okay, but it says, it, we're going to learn in chapter 3, that I believe God has designed the role of pastor to be filled by men. Not any man. That's not the only qualification is that you're a man. That's one of many qualifications. But it is limited to men. So by God's design, the primary role of women in worship is to learn. Paul is not saying that women can never teach. I learn a lot from women. I have learned a lot from women, and I hope to learn more from women. He's not even saying that women can't teach men. Paul is speaking about the local church gathering for worship, where we are now. In this context, God's design is for pastors to teach. God's design is not for men necessarily to teach. It's for pastors to teach in the local church worship gathering. And pastors, by God's design, are to be men. I hope you're hanging with me. Paul's not saying any man can teach in the worship setting. He's, he's saying he's going to tell us pastors are to be teachers. And the role of pastor is limited to men. So women are to be a part of the worship service, but they, and by the way, most of the men are in the role of learners in the worship service, not teachers. Second, look at idea number two. In worship, women are to submit to those who are in authority. I believe part of what Paul wants us to know is that in worship, Women should, should submit to those who are in authority. By the way, Paul has said numerous times elsewhere, 
All of us should submit to those who are in authority. Has he not? Right? I hope you've been listening over the last five years as I've been teaching the Word of God. I've, I've shared that so many times. We should all submit to those who are in authority. So remember, Paul just said, he just said in verse 8, he doesn't want uh, men to be angry or to argue with each other. So it stands to reason that Paul doesn't want men to take authority that doesn't belong to them either. He doesn't want them to be problems in worship. He wants them to focus on praying. So as I've already pointed out, those who are in authority in the church should be pastors. And pastors are to be men. Therefore, it stands to reason that women and all the men who are not pastors are to submit to the pastors in the worship setting who are men. Is everybody with me so far? This is not complicated. It's a little wordy, but it's not complicated. So finally, let's look at idea number three. In worship, women are not to have authority over a man. In the context of worship, women are not to have authority over a man. And you're probably catching on as to why. Who are the ones who are supposed to have authority in the worship setting? Say it if you know it. Pastors. Pastors are supposed to have the authority, and pastors are to be men. So it's not complicated. When you understand chapter 3, it helps you understand the context of chapter 2. Paul is teaching that women should not have authority in the worship service because women, by nature, are not pastors. And they are not pastors because, minimally, they are not men. A woman can meet all the other qualifications of being a pastor and still not be a man and still fall short. By the way, again, a lot of men, I'd say most men, don't meet the qualifications to be a pastor. We don't want them to be pastors either. They are just as disqualified from being a pastor as a woman, or maybe more so than a woman is disqualified from being a pastor. Who we want to be pastors are those who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, again, which we'll look at next week. We see here also that Paul appeals to creation and the fall, which is Genesis chapter 3, the entrance of sin into the world. Paul appeals to creation and the fall to help drive home his point. Now, it's very important that we understand this. Paul is not trying to say women are stupid and weak. It's not what he's trying to say. Most women I know are smarter than most men I know including the one that lives in my house, okay? That's not what he's saying, and they're not weak at all. Women are not weak. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's point, as he looks at verse, if you look at verse 13 and 14, he points out in verse 13 that God had a design for Adam and Eve that was supposed to be followed. God had a design for Adam and Eve, and he points that out in verse 13. And then in verse 14, he points out what happens when we don't follow his design. Look at verse 13 again. He says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. That was God's design. Adam was to be the leader of his relationship with Eve. Well, then what happened? Adam, verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. Why, was the, why did that happen? Because they departed from God's design. Eve went and took the authority listened to the serpent, did what she wanted to do apart from Adam's protection and leadership in her life. 
There's a lot more that can be said about that. But here's the point. God has a design. When we depart from that design, bad things happen. That's the point of what Paul's getting at in verses 13 and 14. God's design for creation was that Adam would be the leader to Eve. They departed from that design and things fell apart for both Adam and Eve. So also, listen, God has a design for the church. We'll explore more of that in the coming weeks. That's really a lot of what First and Second Timothy are all about. But God has a design for the church, and when we depart from that design, when we depart from the design of God, things will fall apart for the church. That's, that's the idea behind this. All right, now perhaps the most confusing verse, verse 15. It's been easy so far. Some of you are like, yeah, right. Look at verse 15. Paul says this, but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Okay, let me just help you out, ladies. Paul is not saying if you have a baby, you're going to heaven. It's not what he means. Some of you say, that looks like what it says. Yeah, it does look like that. But we know, remember, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And in light of the context of the entire Bible, including what Paul has said elsewhere, Paul surely does not mean if you have a baby, you're going to heaven. If you don't have a baby, you're not going to heaven. Neither of those things are necessarily true. Some women have a lot of babies, and they will not set one foot inside the pearly gates of paradise. And there are plenty of women who have no babies who will hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom. That's not what Paul means. Well, what does he mean then? I think Paul is saying something different. I believe what Paul is getting at, and I think once, we, once you hear it explain, it may click for you. I think what he is getting at is that a woman will do well if she fulfills the functions that God has designed for her. Okay? Childbearing in general is one of the functions that God has designed for women. A lot of crazy things have happened with science, but men are still not having babies. Women are having babies. Now, some pretend men have had babies, but real men have not had babies. Biological males are not having babies because why? God's design is that women would be the ones who bear children. Now, this doesn't mean that all women must have children. It's not what it means. Some women want to have children and can't. Some women don't want to have children and they don't. That's not what it means. Paul is pointing out that it's proper for a woman to have children. That's proper. No one sees that and says, well, that's weird. I can't believe a woman's having a baby. That's not weird. It's natural. It's part of God's design. But he would say it's not proper for a woman to seek to have authority in a worship setting. It is against his design. You see that? That's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying you will do well if you fulfill the design God's given you. You will not do well if you try to buck against God's design for you. So it is good for a woman, among other things, to bear children and to, he says in here, continue in faith, love, and holiness. Continue in faith, love, and holiness. So Paul's making a point here. He's saying God has the design for women, and it does not include having the authority in the local church worship context. That's what Paul's driving home. I hope 
that the Lord is giving you some clarity about this passage as we walk through. I talked to one person. They said, I can't wait to hear what you say. They said, but it looks really straightforward. And I said, it is. It is really straightforward. Now, verse 15 was a little challenging, but once you think of it that way, I hope it makes sense for you. I hope the Lord is giving you clarity that we should pursue God's design, not power. If God has not designed you to have authority in the church, you should not pursue that authority in the church. Just as a wrench shouldn't be used to drive a nail. Some of you said, Pastor, I can make that work. Yeah, I'm telling you, it doesn't work as well as it's supposed to. A pencil should not be used to cut paper. A mattress should not be used to cross the Atlantic. So also, a woman is not designed to lead the local church worship service. And many men are not either. That's what Paul is driving home in this passage. So let this bottom line summarize what God is teaching us today. Following Jesus includes following God's design in the church. Following Jesus includes following God's design in the church. Some of you may bristle at the idea that God did not design women to lead the church worship service. Some of you may not like that. And I want to ask you a question that you don't have to answer. In fact, please don't. (laughs) But why are you bothered by that? Ask yourself that question. Why are you bothered by that? You might say, well, that's unfair, or perhaps that's unwise. I would ask, is it unfair that a bird can fly, but a human cannot? Is it unfair that a woman can birth a child, but a man cannot? Is it unfair or unwise that a whale can reach the depths of the ocean with a single breath, but a toddler cannot? Well, in most of those cases, we would say, no, that's not unfair. That's just the way we're designed. Well, there's your answer. That is God's design. God has a good design for all of his creation, including his church. And when we follow Jesus, we submit ourselves to God. And we submit ourselves to God's design and his plans for us and for his church. Following Jesus includes following God's design for his church. Some people that are part of a Baptist church, you know, I've always been told women shouldn't be pastors, but you don't really know why. Some of you might say, well, someone says, well, why should a woman not be a pastor? You would just say, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Let me just tell you, that is a terrible reason to do something. Terrible. Terrible reason. You could have been doing it wrong forever. So the answer is not, well, that's just the way we've always done it. The answer is, that's God's design. And God's design, what did God say after he created the heavens and the earth and he was done? He said, it is good. It's good. God's design is good. So let me challenge you this week in the following ways. Number one, discover God's design for you. Look beyond verses 8 through 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 2, Look through all the scriptures and discover 
God's design for you. What does God want you to do in your life? And then pursue that design. Learn about what it means to follow him according to the way he has made you. Ask, what does God have for me? What are God's plans for me? The truth of the matter is, listen, we don't know everything about God. You can look in the scriptures as much as you want. You don't know everything about what God wants for you exactly. You don't know what God wants you necessarily to do next week. You don't know if he wants you to take this job or that job necessarily. There is so much that we do know that God wants for our lives in the Bible. Focus on that. Focus on what you do know and let him handle what you don't know. Discover God's design for you. Weekly challenge number two, pursue God's design for the church. Pursue God's design for the church. God has a specific design for our church as well, and we don't know every detail. When we put new carpet in here. It's almost been three years now. God did not tell us what color carpet to put down. He didn't. We just picked some color and went with it. We don't know all, by the way, I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares about the color carpet. Sometimes we, uh, I'm going to get off on a tangent here. Hold on a second. Uh, sometimes we spend more time worrying about the stuff that God doesn't even care about than the stuff he does care about. But that's for free. That's, for free. And that's, all, that's, that's the whole tangent. I'm going to stop. But listen, God has told us so much that he does want for our church. Let us focus on that. And our church is composed of individual followers of Jesus just like you. And in order for our church to focus on God's design, each of us needs to focus on God's design for ourselves and for his church. The truth of the matter is God has a design for all of our lives. And I'm going to transition down to tell you, if you are not in relationship with Jesus, you are not fully human. You're not. Because God's design for humanity is that they would be in relationship with him. That's what he created you for, is to be in relationship with him, to bring him glory, to know him and love him and call him Father and experience all the blessings that come with being his child. That is his design for you. But each of us, every single one of us, rejected God's design. We went our own way and did our own thing. Sometimes that includes rejecting God's design for men and women. Sometimes that includes rejecting God's design for the church. Sometimes it includes rejecting God's design for modesty or prayer. Fill in the blank. There are innumerable ways that we can reject God's design and sin against God. And all of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us very clearly what happens when we do that. It says the payment, the wages, what we deserve for sin is death. That's what we deserve. Separation from God. Death, not only a physical death, but eternal death in a real place called hell. Hell's not a myth. It's so real. If you read the Bible, Jesus talked so much about the reality of hell. It's a real place. The reason he did is because he wanted to give us Hope of escape from the judgment of sin and death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but then it continues. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We didn't earn eternal life. 
Paul says in Ephesians, there's nothing we can do. It is an act of grace. We cannot work for it. Therefore, we can't brag about it. Not by works so that no one can boast. There's nothing we can do to earn heaven. Jesus earned it for us. He lived a holy, perfect life. He did not reject God's design in any aspect of his life. And yet, he paid the penalty of death by dying on the cross, by being buried in the ground, by being humiliated, betrayed, arrested, and crucified. That's the payment that we deserve. Jesus paid it for us. The story doesn't end there. Not only did Jesus pay for your sin by dying, but he also earned new life on your behalf by rising from the dead and showing that he had power over death, he had power over evil, he had power over the grave, he rose to new life, and the Apostle Paul tells us elsewhere, just as Jesus rose to new life, so also we can walk in a new way of life. So if you've never been forgiven of your sins, if you've never had the death penalty paid for you by Jesus, God's design is that you might know him, and you have an opportunity to recover God's design for you. Cry out to Jesus. and Say, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you paid the death penalty for my sins. I believe you rose again, and you bring new life. And I want to follow you. And as you follow Jesus, you all of a sudden learn what it means to follow God's design. It's a beautiful thing. And you continue to pursue Jesus, and you continue to pursue Jesus until the time he comes again. And he takes us all home to experience God's perfect design. Free from sin. Free from all the troubles of this world. Free from all the imperfections, the imperfections that we experience on this earth. So to those who are followers of Jesus, my message to you today is thank God for his design and follow his design. For those of you who do not know Jesus, call out to him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and then learn what it means to follow God's design for you, which, by the way, is much better than anything this world has to offer. Everything works better when it's operating the way it was designed to operate. As we sing in just a moment, we're going to sing a song we call the Response Song. We are asking everyone in this room to respond to the work of God in your hearts. Minimally, sing out to him and just thank him in your heart for his great love for you. We're going to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Sing to him and thank him for the work he's done. And for those who do not know Jesus, I want to invite you to come down. Come talk to me. I'll be standing right here. Pastor Richard, our pastor to youth, will be standing down here as well. We'd love to answer any question you can you ask about how to follow Jesus or perhaps you want to be baptized and let everyone know I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm identifying with him. Perhaps you want to make this church your church home. Maybe you just need prayer or you have some general spiritual question. However God is leading, please respond. Come, come talk to us. Maybe you just want to spend some time here in prayer on these steps. We invite you to do so. However God is leading, let us respond. Join me now in prayer, church, as we prepare to sing.